0: Brothers and sisters,
1: visitors and those following on live stream, welcome to this afternoon's worship service. It is a great blessing that we may be here to join in worship of our triune God. May the preaching of the gospel message direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our saviour Jesus Christ and cause us to live our lives to the praise of him. Consistory has the following announcements. We have been informed that candidate Anson van Delden has accepted a call extended to him by the Free Reformed Church of Lugana.
0: This afternoon's worship service will be led by Reverend Poppy. And
1: before we commence, let us sing from Psalm 71, verse 8. Brothers and sisters, please rise and let's worship God. We begin this worship service with a confession that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's sing a song of praise. Let's sing together from Psalm 16, the verses 4 and 5. Now make a profession of our faith, let's do so this afternoon together with the church that's spread all around the world and the church that's done it through the last 2,000 years with the words of the Apostles' Creed as set to music in hymn one. Let's now pray to God and let's ask God for his blessing. Dear God, Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, that we may come again into your presence. Thank you that you give us words to, to sing praises to you. We sang together from Psalm 16, I'm grateful, Lord, for the, for the gift of the Holy Spirit that he inspired David to sing this song. David was secure in your love towards him. And we also look forward to, to an eternity at your right hand. Lord, it's amazing the promises that you extend to us, that you're our God and that you love us, that you look out for us. And when we trust in you, then we'll never be shaken, that nothing can, can shake us. We thank you, Lord, that that's a promise that extends throughout our life. That's also a promise that, that goes beyond our life here on this earth. You tell us when we die, then, that we begin an eternal life together with you, Lord, that's it's an amazing prospect. It's a, it's a beautiful promise. We thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that we may live with a view of this eternity, grant that our lives today are, are preparation for meeting with you, and that it may be a foretaste of what's in store for us. We're hoping to open your word this afternoon to consider the biblical teaching concerning the resurrection of the body and also the, the everlasting life that we have with you. We want to pray for your blessing over that. We can't understand your word without your blessing, Lord. And so we pray for your Holy Spirit, that you work in our hearts, that we may understand what you say, and that we can build our life on the promises that you've extended. Father, we also want to ask you that you would forgive us for our sins. You are the, the great and glorious God, and, and we often say and do things. Also, on this day, there's things that we've thought especially, and, and sometimes even said or done, that are displeasing to you. And We ask for your grace for that. Father, we pray that you would please also take care of those who are not able to be with us this afternoon. There's some who'd love to come to worship and they can't be here. There's also others, Lord, they they don't want to come to worship. And we ask that you would work a change of heart in them, that they may repent of their sin, and that they may meet together with you and glorify you with your people. Father, you are the one who can work it out. And so we ask that for Jesus' sake that you do this for your children. Please bless us in the time we have with you. Please accept our thanks. We're grateful that we can ask you these things, and thank you for listening to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this afternoon, brothers, I may preach the gospel to you concerning the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And in connection with that, I'd like to read two passages of the scriptures. First, we're going to read together from Luke 16, and then from Philippians chapter 1. So I invite you to open your Bible, Luke 16, the verses 19 to 31. You can find that on page 1041 of your book of praise. Luke 16, starting at verse 19. There God's word says, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who had feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abram's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off, and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that, it, that you in your lifetime received good things, and Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abram said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So far, the passage in Luke, then we turn in our Bibles to Philippians. We're going to read together Philippians chapter 1. You can find that on page 1164. So in Philippians 1, we're going to start reading there, verse 12, we'll read through to verse 30. Philippians 1, verse 12, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. Which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. (coughs) Convinced of this, I know I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and join the faith, so that in me you may have ample, ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So far. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing from Psalm 116, verses 1, 4, and 5. This afternoon, I may preach the gospel to you concerning the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. We're going to look at these as as the church has summarized them in Lord's Day 22 of the Heidelberg Catechism. You find that on page 536 of your book of praise. Lord's Day 22. Now, the first question asks... What comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you? Not only shall my soul after this life immediately be taken up to Christ my head, but also this my flesh, raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. What comfort do you receive from the article about the life everlasting? Since I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, I shall after this life Possess perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, a blessedness in which to praise God forever. Then, after the preaching of the gospel, we're going to sing together from hymn 74, the verses 1 through 4. Our brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. In the last year, we've had four members of our congregation who passed away. Just very recently, we had Brother Hank Huizinga. It was a few months ago, our sister G. Van Doon passed away. It was about six months ago that our sister Jane Seegers passed away, and it was about nine months ago that our sister Pam Faulkner passed away. You know, on top of that, we also have a congregation where we have a fair number of, of members who are in their 40s and 50s. And if you're at that stage of life, then what it means is that your parents are in their 70s, 80s, and 90s. And that also has happened to us. We've actually had quite a few members who've had family members who passed away. So just most recently, old Mrs. Harrima passed away. If you think of that, it was just last week that that the father of a brother, Jack Boer and also Sister Magritte Hart, was called to the hospital. Thankfully, he's, he's made it out of the hospital. Just Friday, he returned home again. But if you think about it, then, you know, on top of that, we had a few weeks before that, Jake Vanderlinden's mom passed away. It was a few weeks before that that Helena Bullhouse's dad passed away. And that's just in the last six weeks, eight weeks that this has happened. If you go back before that, there'd be many more who, who have passed away. And then you see the reality of the final curse on sin. You know, when you're in your sickbed, when your spouse passes away, you have to bury your parents. It's really a time of reflection. You stand back and and you look at life. You often grieve the loss of loved ones. You also consider their lives. You meet together and you think back about you know, what were their convictions? What was their character like? What were the things that they really loved? What were the things that they, that they pursued and that they did in their life? What are their idiosyncrasies? And oftentimes, you have those, those meetings together as a family. It's a lot of grieving. It's also a lot of laughter. Think back of who they were and what they did and what all happened in their life. It's really a, a time of mixed emotion. But then as life settles down again, then oftentimes it's quite a bit grieving. Now, the reality is they're not there anymore. They're taken away. And so you can't make any more memories. You can't ask them for wisdom. You can't snuggle with your loved one. You know, relationships are ripped apart. You stand at the side of the grave and you bury your loved one. And deep in your heart you have this sense that it wasn't supposed to be this way. That God made us to live. He made us for life and for relationship. He wants us to have that intimacy, that communion. And It's in that context that we as believers, we've been given one of the greatest promises ever. God has told us that death is not the end, but that there will be a resurrection of the body, and there will be a life eternal. For us, We have these these promises to build our life on, and it makes quite a difference. There's grieving, but the grief is tempered. And then you think of your loved one, you think what happens for them if, when our loved ones pass away, it's actually the best day of their life. They literally have had the best day they could ever imagine. They get to be in the presence of God. They get to see Him face to face. They get to be near Him. They get to understand. They get to see by sight what they used to accept in faith. We know the promise of Hebrews 2, that death is not the end. We know that Jesus Christ has defeated him who, is, who has the power of death. He's defeated the devil. And by his power, he's set us free, and he's rescued us for eternal life. And so we don't have to be sad for them. Well, it's good this afternoon that we, we also realize that we have this joy, this hope, this peace to look forward to ourselves good to reflect on the promises of God. It's good to be able to be comforted in our grief and to look forward with hope. And so I preach God's word to you with this theme. God promises to raise up and give new life to those who fear him. We're going to see in the first place the hope of the resurrection. And then secondly, the delight of eternal life. So what happens to our loved ones when they die? What do we get to look forward to? The time of our death? Our Lord Jesus Christ, he's very clear about that. The one occasion where he's hanging on the cross, and you have this criminal who's hanging next to him, and the man was being executed for his sins, for his rebellion, and he, first he was making fun of Jesus, and then he turns it around, and he, you know, he says that this man, he was innocent, and he pleads with Christ, if Christ would remember him when he comes into his kingdom. And then Christ tells him, Luke 23:43, he says, "'Today you will be with me in paradise.'" Today, you're going to be there. I'm going to be in paradise, and you're going to be with me. And that's the great hope. Right at the moment of death, you get to be with your Lord. You get to come into his presence. That's the promise of 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you might not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus... God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. It's quite striking this passage. He refers to it twice, he refers to death as those who have fallen asleep. We don't want you to be uninformed about those who have fallen asleep. But when you die, the metaphor here is that you sleep. It's it's not a forever. It's not that they're gone forever. It's not that they're never going to, to wake up again. But it's like sleep. They've gone to bed, they've gone to sleep. And after a little while, they're going to rise again. They're going to wake up. And they're going to come to this new life. And so that makes a, a great impact on our grieving. We're sad for that. We really grieve their loss. But it's not hopeless. We don't grieve like those who have no hope. We're, we grieve as those who look forward to the great awakening. It's really quite, quite something, if you think about that, in our context, brothers and sisters. We live in a postmodern context. Most people have rejected God. You have no sense of hope for the future. It's actually quite similar for the ancient Greek and Roman world. They believed in an afterlife, and they believed that the ancestors, that they, they would die and, and they would continue, but they didn't really know what that was. And depending on, on who they, what they believed in, then it was actually quite often quite a scary thing. Well, it's, it's pretty bleak. And it's interesting to to hear about, especially today, how do people cope with that? It's one of the questions I always appreciate asking those who have come to faith in Christ later in life. Just have an honest conversation with them. And I ask them, I say, you know, before you were a believer, what was it like for you? What did you think about death and what happens after death? The most common answer is that most people say, well... I just really didn't really think much about it, didn't give it much airspace, airtime. I was just kind of ignored it. And if I had to, then I just kind of shied away from it. It's quite interesting if you, if you talk to those who are involved in the funeral industry, that's something else they'll tell you. They'll say that in the last 20, 30 years, there's actually been quite a change in funeral practices. Funerals used to be really sad occasions. It's very solemn. It's quite a sad, sad occasion. This person is gone. And there's enough people who still had a sense of, of the fact that when you die, then it's totally over, or when you die, that you face a judgment. There is a God that you have to account for. Well, these days, there's there's not a willingness to face death. And so, what happens at many funerals these days? is that death is pushed as far away as possible. And so what it is, it's not, it's not thinking about the fact that the person's died and what's going to happen to them after they're dead, but the focus is on the person's life and what you celebrate about what they did in the past. And so again, death is just kind of pushed away. People can't face that. They can't deal with that. And so they push it away from themselves. Well, it's in this context that you realize how rich it is to be a child of God. The Lord comes to you, brothers and sisters, with his promises. God wants to comfort you. That when you die, it's not all over, but that you go home to be with the Lord. We read together just a minute ago from Philippians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul, he makes that statement. Verse 21, For me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. And so the situation here, the context is that Paul's writing back to the Philippians. He's currently in Rome. He's in prison. And the Philippians were deeply concerned for him. They, they cared a lot about him. He was actually the missionary who helped establish the church in Philippi. Acts 16 tells us a bit about that story. And so they really loved him. And now that they heard that he was in prison, they're deeply concerned for him. And so they sent one of their men, they sent Epaphroditus, and they gathered a gift together for him, and Epaphroditus went off and, and met with Paul. He encouraged him, and he, he passed on the gift that, he, that they had for him. It was very touching. Can you just imagine if Reverend Dion or if Reverend Paul was arrested in P&G? We'd be really concerned for them, for their well-being. It's very well possible we'd, we'd send someone to go meet with them. You send a gift to them. You do whatever you can to help and to encourage and to support them. Well, Paul writes back to them. He wants to encourage them. He wants to tell them how how it's really going for for him. And he says to them, he says, He says, don't worry. You have no reason to be concerned. He says, I'm doing really well. In the first place, he said, You have to understand that the fact that I'm arrested and put in prison, it's actually served the promotion of the gospel. These days, the whole Imperial Guard that's referring to Caesar's household, the whole guard has heard about the fact that, that Jesus is the Christ, and they hear the gospel. And Paul says, you know, I have some other brothers here, and because of what's happened to me, they become much more bold in sharing the faith, sharing the gospel with others. And so my, my imprisonment, is, it has really served the promotion of the gospel. And then on top of that, he says, you know, you also don't have to worry for me Because no matter what happens, it's win-win. Either I live or die. He says, it doesn't matter. He says, I still win. First, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, we wouldn't really use that language. What does Paul mean when he says, for me to live is Christ? Well, if you, maybe the way to make sense of it is just if you take Christ out and if you put cricket in, then maybe you can understand it. There are some people who say for me to live is cricket. That's what I live for. That's what I love. That's what motivates me. That's the great joy of my life. Now Paul's not saying that he's not saying that about cricket or footy or work, but he's saying that about Christ. For me to live is Christ. That's what it's all about. And he actually develops a theme later in the book. In Philippians 3, he talks about all his credentials. He says, you know, he says, if anybody's going to make it into the kingdom of heaven on the basic credentials, he says, man, I got the list. I'm like top of the list. I've got all these things. But he says, real life, that's rubbish. It doesn't count for nothing. He says, the only thing that matters is Jesus Christ and being found in him. But then what he's also saying he's saying, the other option is that I die. And he says, truth is, that's actually better for me. I love Christ and I love living for him and I love working for him, but one day God's going to take me home and I'm going to die. And if that happens, he says, that's really a win. He says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is better by far. He believes what Job confesses, that his Redeemer lives, that he will see God In his flesh, the day is coming where he's going to rise again. He's going to see God face to face. Paul knows what David confesses, Psalm 16. You have made known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. If you remember that Paul received these visions, he was taken up into the third heaven. Well, certainly he knows the reality of what John confesses in Revelation 17, verse 14. It says of Christ that he who sits on the throne will shelter his people with his presence. And they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The Lord has a glorious inheritance in store for his people, brothers and sisters. When we die, it's a gain. We get to go to be with him. We get to experience his presence. We get to experience his nearness. Well, it's a great comfort. For us, it's a great comfort when we stand at the graveside of a loved one. The Apostle Paul, he says this is his greatest longing gets back to it in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8. He says, we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. It's really what we confess here in Lord's Day 22. And after this life, my soul shall, shall immediately be taken up to Christ, my head. Well, do, you, do you live out of that perspective, brothers and sisters? Do you have that view of eternal life? we heard this morning the, the danger is that you get caught up in the here and now. The danger is idolatry, that we make idols of the things around us. And we start living for those things. If you ever do that, then in the end, then there's no end of trouble that comes to that, brothers and sisters. It's the Apostle Paul, he talks about a little later in the book of Philippians. Philippians 3, he mentions there that there are some people who set their mind on earthly things. They forget that their citizenship is in heaven. And Paul says of them that their stomach, their belly, is their God. Well, that's the problem we read about in Luke 16. There you have another picture of the eternal life and what's in store for, for people. Christ tells this story of the rich man and Lazarus. It's quite a story because there's a real contrast between those who, who live in idolatry. And those who live a life based on the promises of God. So here you have this story about this rich man. He's clothed in purple and fine linen. He feasts sumptuously every day. It's really strongly contrasted with this poor beggar, this man Lazarus. Who, he's laid at the rich man's gate. So you almost have a sense that he's a lame man. And he's begging. The greatest thing is if he can just have some crumbs that fall off the rich man's table. But then they both die. And after they're dead, we're told that the tables are turned. That Lazarus is carried by the angels to Abram's side, and he's comforted there. But the rich man is in Hades, and he's in great torment. He longs just for a drip of cool water. If only Lazarus could drip some water on his tongue, because he's in anguish in the flames. Well, Christ is saying there is an eternal life. There's an eternal destiny. And really what he's saying here is he's saying your eternal destiny depends on how you live today. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus? Do you trust him? Do you love him? Do you live for him? And he's saying if you do, then that gets reflected in the way that you live. And the context here, the reason Christ says these things is because we didn't read it, but if you just go back a few verses, it's in Luke 16, verse 13, that Christ is having this discussion together with the Pharisees. Christ warned them, he said, that no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And the very next verse tells us that the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things and they ridiculed him. And Christ said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, But God knows your hearts, for what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. There is an eternity in store. And one day, when you die, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of God. And God is going to pass judgment on your life. And Christ is saying to them, you know, you can can put a good show on. You can make everybody believe that you're sincere. But God judges your hearts. He sees who your master really is. And if your master is money, and Christ says that it's not God, it's either or. No one can serve two masters. And if your master is money, if you show that by having a lack of concern for those who are in need around you, then the end, Christ says, you will not share in the eternal blessing of God. It's quite striking, actually, if you read through the rest of the the book of Luke, and also if you read through the Acts of the Apostles that was written by Luke, there's a theme that comes back over and over again. Luke teaches us that one of the foundational ways that it shows in our life that we are believers in Jesus Christ is if we have a real sense of care and concern for our brothers and sisters around us. Well, is that you, brothers and sisters? Do you live with that eternal perspective? Do you realize that pretty soon your 80 years are done, that you're going to stand before the throne, you have to give an account of your life? When the rich man dies, and he realizes it's all over for him, and then he asks if, if possibly Lazarus can be sent back to the earth to warn his brothers. He's got five brothers, And he doesn't want them to experience what he's going through. And then Lord Jesus, or sorry, then Abraham, he says to him, he says, it doesn't work that way. He says, they have Moses and the prophets. And the rich man says, no, no, no. But if somebody comes back from the dead, then they will believe him. But Abraham turns around, he says, no. He says, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to listen if somebody rises from the dead. If somebody actually rises from the dead... And they're going to think, you know, I was in town and I heard this guy telling me something and he was saying something about being in hell and that there's suffering and, and that he came back to life again and, and that there's going to be judgment if you don't repent. And I don't know who he was, but that was just really weird. He says it's not about special signs. It's not about special situations like dead people coming to life. It's about the Word. The way... You live with God. The way you grow in faith, the way you understand the truth of life is by reading the word and by believing the word. Well, that's our hope, brothers and sisters. You need the word. You need to trust the promises. You need to believe what God says. And thankfully, the Lord helps us with that. It's often as we go through life, then sometimes we we hit hard things, go through difficult experiences. Paul talks about that in Philippians 1 here. We go through these difficult experiences, and it's often during those times that you have to throw yourself upon the Lord, that you need his help, and that you rely upon him. And it's in those moments that all of a sudden the word becomes really rich. You read the Psalms, and you realize the truth of what God's saying, and they're so vibrant, and they're so rich, and they're so encouraging And you read the promises, you read through the Gospels, you read the promises that are extended in the letters of Paul, and you understand who Christ is. And you know what it means to be in Christ. And you know the richness of the promises that God has extended you in Christ. And so the Lord uses his word. It says, we reflect on the word through the circumstance of life that the Lord uses that to build us up, to have great faith in him, and to walk closely with him. And he does it to prepare us, brothers and sisters. We're going to come into his presence. You're going to see Him face-to-face. Face. What's it like? It's going, to be, it's going to be majestic. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be a stunning experience. If you want a sense of it, if you, want to, if you want to know a little bit what it's been like for your loved ones who've gone before you, then just think of what happened to the men and women who saw God face-to-face face when they're still on this earth. You know, when Moses or Isaiah or Jeremiah comes into the presence of God, It was the most profound experience of their lives. They're overwhelmed with wonder and amazement at the holiness and the glory of God. You know, Moses is down on his face. And Isaiah, from then on, he couldn't stop talking about the Holy One of Israel. He kept telling the people about this Holy One that he saw seated on the throne in glory and majesty in the temple. Or you have Jeremiah, he sees God... And then after that, he has to go out and preach to these people, and they all rebel against him. But if he thinks of who these people are, and if he remembers who God was and what God did, then preaching to these people and calling them to repent, it's an easy thing. Because those people are nothing compared with the glory and majesty of their God. If you really want a sense of what it means to come into Christ's pres- to God's presence, then think what it was like for the people to meet Jesus Christ. And when they saw him, when they met him, it was a profoundly moving experience for them. They flocked to him because he preached with authority, because he had power over evil spirits, because he healed the lame and the blind. He brought dead people to life. He taught them about the love of God for them. He was gentle and lowly in his dealings with them. It was an incredible blessing and joy that came from him. And so the people, they were excited to follow him. They were amazed in his presence. They came to him by the thousands, and they loved being near him. Well, that's just a foretaste. It's a little little experience of what it will be like for us when the day arrives. You know, when you come into God's presence... Then you rejoice. Then you sing. Then you praise God. Then you are delighted to be in the rest, the eternal rest. Then you end up working for the Lord. In the new heaven and earth, the Lord says that we're going to work for Him. He's going to set us to work. He's going to give us authority over cities. He's going to give us the power and the ability to use our gifts in the service of his name. You're going to have these majestic bodies that are immortal, that are powerful, that are glorious, that are spiritual. You're going to be able to use the unique gifts that you've been given in serving your creator. Well, just imagine if you develop your talents to God's glory in a state of restfulness. Imagine if you do that in joy and cooperation with others. You all work together for the same goal, for the glory of your God. And there's no, there's no conflict. There's everybody who's on the same page and who's working towards the same goals. Imagine if you, if you get to understand the mind of the Lord. You get to explore his creation. You get to seek to understand who he really is. You get to seek to, to know him according to what he's really done. And the more you explore creation, the more you get to see that. And imagine you have the time to pursue things. That you get to understand who God really is, you get to glorify Him for what He's done. Imagine the delight of joining with all the saints. You get to be in the presence of your Father, and you get to love Him as you are loved by Him. And together, you get to sing to Him. You get to glorify Him. Now, we really have no idea of what's coming, brothers and sisters. We can't imagine. We don't know what it'll be like. The Bible gives us all these little images. You read through the book of Isaiah. It happens over and over again that you get these little pictures of the glory and the majesty, of the peace and rest, of the joy and beauty of life in God's fellowship. The Lord, he wants to, to build up in our hearts a sense of anticipation. He wants us to live with a view to the eternal future that's in store for us. He wants to save us. We're getting wrapped up in the here and now and getting lost in the details. And He wants to prepare us for a life together with Him in eternal glory. Well, let's pray that God gives us great faith. Let's live in such a way that we live out of that, that we love our Lord, that we love the people around us, that we're well prepared for the day when He calls us home. Amen. Let's sing together. We're going to sing hymn 74, the verses 1 through 4. Let's now call upon the Lord in thanksgiving and prayer. Almighty God and Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the promises that you've extended to us in Jesus Christ. Thank you that Christ has overcome death, that he's destroyed the devil, that he was raised to a new life, and that he's promised to raise us also. Thank you, Lord, that when we die, that it is not the end, But we get to see you face to face. We get to be taken into your presence. Thank you that you promise us an eternal life where we get to live with you in a world that is without sin. But we can't imagine what that will be like. We can't imagine seeing you face to face. But we know that it's glorious. When we read the promises of the scriptures, when we read the imagery that you give us to describe this new life, it's a beautiful life. It's a time of rest and peace It's time of love and fellowship. It's time of worshiping you and enjoying you. We're so thankful, Lord, that you give us these promises. We're grateful then that we can let go of our loved ones. We know that they are in a better place, those who have died in Jesus Christ. We're also grateful, Lord, that you allow us to, to look forward to that eternal future. Sometimes there's so much suffering here, Lord. We live in a world that's marred by sin. It affects creation. It affects us. It affects our relationships with others. It affects our work. It touches our families. There's no, there's no area of life that's not touched by, by the effects of sin. And sometimes it, it makes us tired. Sometimes we, we don't have energy to go on. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us with your Holy Spirit for the life that you've given us. We pray that you be a father to us, that you carry us through the hard times. We pray, Lord, that we may live with a view to the eternal life. Grant that we not get caught up in idolatry, that we don't pursue the desires of our hearts, but rather, Lord, help us to, to live for you, for your glory, for your honor. We also heard the encouragement this afternoon that we, we also reflect that by caring for those who are in need. And we pray that you'd help us with that, that as you have loved us, and you, as you have shown us, your kindness to us who are needy, that we also may extend your grace to others and show your kindness to those who are in need. Father, thank you that you give us the means to do so, and we pray that we may have a heart for it. We also pray, Lord, that you would please grant that we're able to share the hope of the gospel with others. Sometimes we have others at work or at uni. We have neighbors or we have other acquaintances, Sometimes family members, they don't know you and they don't have a relationship with you. We pray, Lord, that you give us the wisdom and the courage to share the gospel, to speak of the hope of eternal life, to, to tell them about who you are and what you have promised. We pray, Lord, that you work in their hearts as well so that other people may know you, that they may share in your glory. Father in heaven, we also want to ask you that you would help the members of our congregation who are under special supervision, under discipline, some members, Lord, who they have struggles in faith, they don't believe in you, or they, they get caught up in, in the desires that they have. We ask that you'd work a different spirit in them, that they may turn back to you, that they may receive your grace once again. Father, we also want to pray for a blessing of the education of our children. Help us to train our children to know and love you, be with our families, Lord. Grant that in our families that there can be a beautiful spirit. Please bless our schools, Lord. Grant that you would be with the teachers, that they're able to have the strength and energy. They can have the wisdom and love to be able to train the children up to know and love you. Please give them wisdom in their disciplines. And please grant a blessing in the classrooms that there can be a beautiful spirit. Bless the, also the board and the decisions that they make. We ask that you be with the school councils, that they can provide good leadership and guidance for the school members. And together, Lord, grant that that this may be a blessing, that our children grow up to know and love you, and that it goes well for them. We also pray, we have some members worshiping with us, Father, who who have children who are in other schools. We also want to pray for them, that you look after them, and that you bless them and help them, that you provide for them, and that you look out for them and, and hold on to them, so that they too may know and love you. And Father, we also... Wish to ask you for a blessing in the world around us. When we read the news, then one of the things we often still read about is the the conflict that's going on in Ukraine. There's a lot of people who who experience warfare, who have to live through the horrors of war. Such a a devastating experience leads to to so much trouble in people's lives, when there's death and destruction, when they're displaced from their homes, when people have to serve in, in armies and militaries hundreds of thousands of kilometers away from their homes. Father, we pray that you would please rescue your people, that you show kindness to those who need your help, that you show mercy, and that you bring an end to the conflict. Father, we also pray for all the other places in the world where there is conflict. There's so many people who experience oppression and injustice. We ask that you hear your people when they cry out to you, and that you rescue your people. Father, thank you that we get to live in a place where there's so much peace and freedom, and we honor you for that, and we, we pray for your blessing over us here in this nation, that we may repent of our sin, that we can yet experience your blessing in our lives. Father in heaven, we also wish to thank you that within the bond of churches, that we've heard the news that our brother Anson Vendelden has accepted the call to Lagana. I want to pray for a blessing over the church in Lagana, and also for our brother, Please grant that in due time that he's able to take up his task here in Australia, and please grant that it may go well for them. Father, we rejoice with our our brothers and sisters at this development. It's been five years that the church of again has been vacant. They've been looking forward to having their own minister. And we're grateful now that, that you've given this to them. Pray that you would bless the preparations and grant that in due time that the brother can take up the work in the congregation. And we pray that you would bless him, that you give him a rich measure of your spirit, that he may faithfully and joyfully bring the message of the gospel to your people, and that there can be a beautiful spirit of love and cooperation together there. Please also be with the, the other churches in our federation, Lord. Please be with us as a bonded churches, that we walk in faith and obedience before you. Help us, Lord, to, to mature in our faith, that we grow closer to you, and in so doing, that we also grow closer to others. Father, we now have the opportunity to again give our thank offerings to you. This afternoon, we're going to have a collection for, for some needy students. I want to pray, Lord, that you would please bless these these offerings. Grant, Lord, that that those who, who need some assistance for studying the ministry of the gospel, that they can receive this help. And then we want to pray for, for blessing over the work that's done at the seminary in Hamilton. Grant, Lord, that, that in due time that they can start up their work once again. In September, when they get back to it, and grant, grant your blessing over that. In the meantime, we pray that you would be with the students and, and be with the professors during the summer break. Many of the students are in internships. And we pray for your blessing over that. I also want to pray that that in due time that Brother Nathan Plater is able to take up his work in our midst. It's about a month's time that we're looking forward to having him. Please grant your blessing over his travels here. Grant that he's able to to become established here and that he can begin the work and that would be a blessing for your people as well. Father, thank you that we may bring all these things to you. Pray for your blessing over the, the Bible study this week. Grant that we can meet together as your people and we can encourage each other. And please do these things. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, you now have the opportunity to serve God with your thank offerings. We just prayed for the, for the needy students who are going to study theology. You have a, the opportunity to support these students in your collections. And after the collection, we're going to sing together from hymn 67, verses 1, 6, and 7. now the blessing of God. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.